are not listening to this podcast. My name is Will James. And, and listen, I promise I'm not trying to turn this into uh, an anti Ellen White podcast or a hey, I saw something on the internet. So I'm ranting podcast. Um, I also know that continuing to talk about my niche denomination uh, in a critical lens is truly the best way to make sure that you are definitely not listening to this anymore. But um, I don't know what else to, to do here. I know that there are many pressing issues in general, and there are many pressing issues in Christianity different forms and denominations all that there's there's colonization nationalism homophobia patriarchy prosperity gospels purity culture fake healers sexual abuse verbal abuse religious abuse like there's a lot and there are a lot of voices speaking to those problems of which i have learned a lot appreciate a lot and sometimes I try to uh, assist in that push but I come from Adventist churches black Adventist churches for that matter so some of the things I find pressing I don't hear a lot of voices talking about not our specific problems and and this may be screaming into the wind I just I don't know what to like I've, I've tried to find a way to properly set the table to, to fully discuss the idea of Ellen White having a, an additional prophetess the idea of having a new prophet sitting in a gap in time where there weren't any for a long time and there hasn't been any since like just the whole thing about that is all something I would like to fully and more thoroughly develop. I'd honestly like to have guests for that to compare and contrast how we grew up in these ideas. But is it's dense. It's a dense task. Like to establish her legend, either to uphold it or uh, look at it critically, is complicated. The point really is laying the foundation simply lays the foundation and my issue is not even so much the the legend i mean i have problems with the legend but it's not who cares like stories become stories it's what we do with them and how they infiltrate our thinking how they are used to unify in kind of a programmatic way I just I think it needs to be discussed, right? I hate to do it the way I'm going to do it, but I kind of don't have a better idea. I can tell you what I think happens in Adventist churches or with not all of them, but I'm just saying I can I can tell you kind of what I see are the pitfalls or the the problems. But the if you hear that um from the Adventist perspective and don't like the way that sounds, whatever. It's very easy to just dismiss me, you know? 
say I'm exaggerating or biased or, you know, I came from I mean, any of those things are, are most likely true. You know, I'm not. I am not objective in this situation necessarily because I lived within it. You know, I try to be objective, but there are things going on there. There are life experiences to deal with. I'm not going to hide those or attempt to. So instead of just saying what I think, I'm going to play you a clip from an Adventist seminar. It's the, well, I'll probably play you a series of them. The first one is, I'll say up top, is edited in the sense that it's about a five minute long chunk of dialogue, or not dialogue, monologue, that is kind of interrupted by a, a question. But, so I cut the little, the stuff in the middle out that doesn't, didn't need to be there and presented the idea. Any of the other clips you hear aren't edited at all. It's just, <laughs> here's what was said. I want to then be able to kind of discuss the mindset that those clips present and how prevalent it is within Adventism. It doesn't matter that this is a particular minister. It doesn't matter that this was at a particular church. What this guy does is he presents the same topic at a lot of places. He does not have a church. He travels around and presents these things. He's got a, his doctorate in theology from Andrews. He's taught at Andrews and Oakwood, I believe. I think he's in like Africa now. Um, my point in all that is he has traveled around for decades presenting these, these ideas within the church in many Adventist churches. And he presented the seminar on the Adventist doctrine of the sanctuary at our church when I was a little kid. Uh, and then I know the most recent version of it that I have come across was six years ago. So he's just been doing this the whole time. Everywhere. So while it may not represent every minister or every church, it does represent ideas that have been presented to many churches under many ministers' purview over many years and continues on because it's completely normal. What's being presented is normal in Adventism. In some ways, uh, these presentations birthed this podcast. And again, I want to be clear. It's not necessarily this guy that's the problem. He seems like a fine person. Uh, he's actually... <laughs> A uh, family friend. <laughs> uh, he's a little too military-minded in his religion for my liking. But that's whatever. But it, it's the mindset that this exact clip represents. These other clips will highlight. There is not a better way to frame it I can think of other than, than brainwashing. And I know that that's a harsh uh, charge to levy against an idea it is a style prevalent in Adventism and it was impossible for me to see it within the bubble right? but it is just as impossible for me to not see it now and again I know this has all been kind of background information but I have to, got to give you some more so this is 
part of a series on the Adventist doctrine of the sanctuary. Um, it's it takes the patterns and traditions of the ancient Hebrew tabernacle and sanctuary and likens it to the the quest towards sanctification of the Christian, uh, the dispensation of truth from God to mankind. It leads one to be able to find themselves safe enough to save and take to heaven. And so this minister is likening this path towards salvation to going through special forces training. Only the elite of the elite can get through the difficulty of the test. Not everybody's built for it. Now that, that part of it is a topic for another day. The thing that's important to note for right now is that this doctrine is unique to Adventism. So this thing that's going to make you safe to save only Adventists even know about. No other group of people holding a Bible has ever taught it. And it's built around the conclusions of the founders of the church that were seeking to determine why their end of the world prophecies or predictions had failed and what was really going on in these verses that they'd been handling for 10, 15, 20 years. This new doctrine was championed by Ellen White, the prophetess of Adventism and later believed to have been confirmed by visions, her visions that were believed to be from God. As a result, uh, the Bible alone will not get you through a seminar on this doctrine. You can technically present it with just Bible verses, but you're going to have to use assumptions that are taken from Ellen White's writings to do it. And those assumptions are not necessarily held by a majority of biblical scholars or really anyone outside of denomination. Now, some of them are. Understand, not all the assumptions are even unique to her. But because the sanctuary doctrine is so integrally tied to what Adventists believe, Ellen is quoted all the time in Adventist churches in general, but also especially so in a presentation about the sanctuary doctrine. The clip I'm going to play you comes from the seventh of 10 presentations. I say that to point out who the pastor can assume is in his audience. Because again, this is what this dude does. He travels from city to city, gives the same presentation over and over for a week and a half at a time, two weeks at a time. It's like any traveling play, a musical act, stand-up comedian. If you take your routine on the road, you're going to learn some things about your audiences, the people that come to hear you when they hear about who you are and what you're coming to bring. And that information will help you more effectively deliver your routine. So from having sat through several of these from different Adventist presenters, there's a pattern. I've learned a few things myself. For one, everyone that's still there after six two-hour presentations is either a devout Adventist who is reinforcing their faith in this doctrine or a complete newbie fully convinced and hanging on every word just trying to learn this for the first time. Or me. But the semi-curious Catholic, the Baptist or Methodist or whatever, that never came to any or didn't come back after the first one. I mean, that it's over for them. The casual visitor is gone. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit. The, the audience that he still has are all invested. This is 
the most important information their church can even present them. All right? The fifth presentation was the pastor, the preacher, asking the audience to prove a different, a, a part of the sanctuary doctrine, but a different Adventist doctrine, one that's often forgotten, but instrumental. And he asked them to prove it using only the Bible. And that, I, that being the idea that Michael the Archangel is actually a pseudonym for Jesus. Not only that, but that Jesus was, in fact, in disguise as an angel. And that he will not just do something in the future revelation, but was Lucifer's opposite covering cherub even before the creation of the earth. Now, I don't know how many churches believe that Michael, the archangel, and Jesus are the same entity. I know the Jehovah's Witnesses do, I believe, but they also believe that Jesus is an actual angel, like was created. Um, Adventists don't believe that, but believe he was disguised as an angel. My point is, there's a list of biblical references that are always used by Adventists to prove that Michael the Archangel is Jesus. The preacher shot down every one of those biblical references because one actually can't prove that point. You just, you can't. He called it a tradition, but it is one that Ellen White's writings confirm. So again, he understands his audience he has two messages ago told them a thing you believe is true because Ellen White confirmed it. And because you're Adventists who believe that Ellen White didn't give us anything new, but just told us things the Bible already says, anything she says can be proven with the Bible. So you've taken these two things that Adventists believe and you've bumped them up against each other. He created cognitive dissonance. He told a group of people. Only Adventists at this point, of course, that something they believe God told them through Ellen White can't be proven by the Bible. The sixth presentation was the preacher then proving that Michael the Archangel is Jesus, just as Adventists teach it. But instead of relying on the verses that we've traditionally used that he had just shot down the previous day, he presented an analogy of the book of Esther to satisfy a divine test that he created. Like he gave the points of the test, but he didn't tell us where they came from. And they're, But they are based on ideas taken from Ellen White, this archetypes, types, all that stuff. So my point is, he created his own new dogma, basically, by claiming that the book of Esther, particularly the power struggle between Haman and Mordecai, is actually a dramatic retelling of the fall of Lucifer for his jealousy of Jesus, who he assumed was an angel named Michael. By the way, Lucifer being jealous of a disguised Jesus that looked like a lesser angel than himself is not biblical in any way, shape, or fashion. But the preacher got away with doing it because he used a biblical story, Esther, Haman, and Mordecai, to reinforce an idea that Adventists get from Ellen White's teachings that Michael the Archangel is Jesus, this thing he spent the previous couple of days undercutting. So he slipped in something new because he knew it would work because it dissipated the cognitive dissonance he had just created over the last 
two days. He knows what he's doing and he knows who he's talking to. He's led this audience to believing what they already believe. But he caused the audience in their minds to say, but Ellen White said, but Ellen White said, but Ellen White said in order to continue. So in the seventh message, 55 minutes in, he talks about that idea Ellen White said. You will never hear me say Ellen White said, because when I was a Baptist coming to the Adventist church, I remember sitting in church and I heard the preacher say Ellen G. White a hundred times before he ever mentioned the name Jesus. And I was wondering, who in the world is Ellen G. White? She ain't even, she hadn't even never showed up for Sabbath school. Where is she? Who, who is this woman? She must be very important because they talk about her more than they talk about Jesus. And, 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 and we, people wonder why, why, where do people get this idea that we are caught? We are a cult because all we talk about is Ellen G. White. I have met Adventists. I can't even say Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. You know what their response is? Testimonies, Volume 6, page 483. Oh, this isn't the edited version. This is the full thing. Like, what's wrong with you? Then when they kept mentioning Ellen G. White, it made it worse. It added insult to injury. You know why? Because I love Jesus. I don't care what Ellen White has to say. I don't want to hear anything Ellen White has to say. I don't want to hear a thing Ellen White has to say. You know why? Because when I came into church, I didn't know who Ellen White was. Not Ellen White is dead and in the grave. I wanted to know what the man who has feet, footprints that come out of the other side of the grave, I wanted to know what Jesus had to say. And then when I learned, when I learned about the spirit of prophecy, I love the spirit of prophecy. I fell in love with the spirit of prophecy. I love the pen of inspiration. But what I learned is that, just like when you read the Bible, who did God use to pen the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch? Moses. So when you read the Ten Commandments, you say, Moses said. Remember? Well, Moses wrote it. So why don't you say Moses said? When we repeat the Ten Commandments, we say Moses said. No, when we quote from the Psalms, you know, from the Psalms, we say David said, or do we quote from Jeremiah? We say Jeremiah. No, it's, it's not about the instrument that God used. It's what God says. I don't care who wrote it in the Bible. I don't care who wrote it. 66 books, 44 men. They are not authors. These men are not authors. They were instruments. These men, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspired the word of God through these men. So what we read is what thus saith the Lord. When Jesus spoke to Satan, he didn't say, well, the psalmist said. You know what Jesus said? Thus saith the Lord. It is written. He pulled out the sword. It is written thus Say that it's what God says. When I quote the pen of inspiration, I believe that the same God who inspired Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Moses, Isaiah, the same God that inspired them inspired the pen of inspiration. So when I speak, I never say Ellen White said. 
It's not what Ellen White, it's what God says. Everybody understand that? So when, I speak, so when I'm speaking to people, I, and, and we, need to get, we need to get beyond what using the name Ellen G. White because when we have visitors, people don't understand. Well, why are you quoting this lady? You know, so when we have visitors, and people say, well, Ellen White says, and Ellen White says, and Ellen White, and they think, well, well you know, these people, they may, they may be a cult. They keep talking about this lady. They think, they think we worship Ellen White. Say, pen, find something that you like besides Ellen White. The Lord says through the pen of inspiration, whatever. Do not say, keep saying Ellen G. White. Now, I said all that to come to this. Did you get it? Or did you catch it? All of it? Like, it's important to know that his statement was that the audience has not heard him say Ellen White yet or Ellen White says yet seven messages in now he's quoted her extensively the entire time he's just never said that that's what he was doing he has said God says through inspiration or the pen of inspiration tells us he's simply not said Ellen White said And I want to address his original point that, that other Christians, they think Adventism is different because of the day of worship and they become alarmed to find out how much Adventism is actually centered around one person's writings, personality, and whatever else. Adventists have an obsession with quoting Ellen White, referencing her work more so than they speak about Jesus. This was his point that Ellen White is dangerously close to being the focal point of the religion, which would make it a cult or at least a cult of personality, a cult. And the problem that he saw there was that mentioning her name focuses on the person more than the words and that we should only care about what God says. Now, if he'd stopped right there, I would have stood up and applauded. There's only two directions you can go from there. You either say lay off all the Ellen in church and use the Bible only, you know, be sola scriptura like you claim you are. But I knew that's not where he was going because of what he'd just done in the fifth and sixth messages and how many times he's quoted her already just without saying her name. The only other option is to do what he's been doing and what the Adventist church has always done. That clip is a microcosm of what the Adventist church has been doing to its own members ever since it's existed and now telling the members to do it to themselves and everyone else. So let's break down how he set it up. He makes a sweeping declaration about scripture and how Christians read it. That's not true. It's just not true. It's not completely false, but it's not true. He says the Bible is the inspired word of God, which Christianity obviously tends to agree with, but then he drills down. He asks, who wrote the first five books of the Bible? The Pentateuch. Now, he knew everyone was going to say Moses, especially in that room. It is actually debatable, but not to a fundamentalist Adventist crowd. Nothing is more obviously true than Moses wrote the Pentateuch, and nothing is closer to divine than the Pentateuch to an Adventist who is typically a full-on historical literalist. 
But then he said, do we say Moses said when we quote the Ten Commandments? Now, the Ten Commandments is different than the Pentateuch. It's in it, but it's not the same thing. It's a bait and switch. There is plenty of the Pentateuch that you would very normally say that Moses said this when you reference it. By literalist standards, Moses lived most of the Pentateuch and would be quoting himself in it, does quote himself in it. Obviously, no matter how seriously you take inspiration, some of the first five books are Moses's words. But by asking about the Ten Commandments, this gets you thinking about Moses sitting on Sinai, having things dictated to him, having God actually write it with his own finger. Which is directly where the question takes you, because he picked literally the only part of the Bible that Adventism would teach is explicitly not even written by a human. The Ten Commandments, carved in stone by God's own finger. And he asks you who you say wrote that when you quote it. The only part of the Bible you can't say wasn't written by God is the only part he asked about. So now he gets you to say no. No to the idea that when you quote inspired writings, you are referencing their author. No, it's not the writer. It's God said, right? So when he jumps over and he asks you very quickly, do you say David said when you quote the Psalms or Jeremiah said when you read Jeremiah and he breezes by and he assumes you'll continue to say no, when I'm fairly certain, again, he's wrong. Most Christians do say, and these are the words of the psalmist. The psalmist said, remember the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Go read Ecclesiastes, any part of it, and tell me where you think it's God talking. It literally starts off by saying, these are the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, and then goes full emo for 12 chapters. Should we say God tells us in Ecclesiastes 2.8 that he gathered for himself treasures, got singers, men and women, and delights of the flesh and many concubines? Or should we say the author of Ecclesiastes said that? We quote the respective gospel writers when we quote their books, because we know that their personalities, their jobs, their backgrounds, that seemingly affected how they presented their story of Jesus to us. Their accounts of the same events don't even match each other. Those inconsistencies are literally part of the reason why people believe the gospels, because eyewitness testimonies do tend to vary. If all four were the same, we'd have to assume there was copying going on for the entirety of it. That they differ, showing more than one account of things, is an argument for the validity of Jesus's existence. If we consider these all purely the unfiltered words of God, then we have to then do something to reconcile the very fact that there are differences in the Gospels even though that's what the Christian faith has always used to authenticate them. There's no way a guy with a PhD in theology shouldn't know that. But to question that all in, in the middle of his seventh sermon, 58 minutes in, feels like you aren't questioning him, but the idea of inspiration itself. You're actually asking yourself now, are Mark's words about Jesus from what the Adventists would claim as first-person experience. Are Mark's words about Jesus Mark's words or God's words about what Mark remembered? 
But he's getting you to internally enforce an idea that the Bible doesn't even present about itself. The idea that the Bible, all of it, is the literal word of God. Like he said, 66 books, 44 men, one author? He states it like it's a fact, getting amens from the audience. That's a minority stance on what the Bible is in the first place. The majority view of biblical scholars do not separate the words from the writers or the writers from their contexts or the letters from who they were intended to go to. That's not even the view that Ellen White held of the Bible. But he's saying it to further end up elevating her writings because they're inspired in the same ways. I assure you, when it's advantageous to contextualize something in the Old Testament to their time or society or the person that's said to have written it, this minister would do it. But even Ellen said that, quote, the Bible is not God's mode of thought and expression. It is that of humanity. God as a writer is not represented. The writers of the Bible were God's penmen, not his pen. Look at the different writers. Now he just said, these guys were not writers, they were instruments. He's saying they're not penmen, they're pens. He's arguing against who he is ultimately calling God to tell you to consider her writings straight from God. Look, he has gone from the Ten Commandments being the only part of the Bible that was not written by a human, to now none of the Bible was written by humans. Humans held the pen that God moved. Now maybe he hasn't sold you on your internal argument yet, so he pulls out the big guns. What would Jesus do? He says when Jesus spoke to Satan, he didn't quote individual writers. He said, thus saith the Lord, it is written. Draws the sword. He said it twice. It's a lie. Both damn times. Pick whichever gospel you'd like, although it's only in Matthew and Luke. Mark mentions the wilderness, but he gives no detail, and John skips it all together. Even the two gospels that present it, they present the temptations in different orders. In Matthew, it's hunger, tempting God, then power. In Luke, it's hunger, power, then tempting God. But pick whichever one you'd like, and in whichever translation your heart desires, you're not going to see Jesus say, thus says the Lord. He doesn't say that. He does say it is written. He says it is said. But those are not synonymous. It is written is not the same thing as thus saith the Lord. But are you going to look that up in the moment? Probably not. If you do and notice it, are you going to raise your hand and challenge him? If he sees your hand go up, is he going to call on you when he knows he just put words in Jesus's mouth? Now, I looked it up when I heard it because I have trust issues. But most people don't when it comes to the pulpit. People on elevated stages with fancy robes or suits and ties or gloves and sashes or titles indicating an indoctrinated education that matches my denomination tend to be given the benefit of not doubting at all. But now you have a bait and switch. We've now taken the seemingly most sacred part of the Old Testament and elevated every single other word in Scripture to that completely divine space, void of all human input and characteristics. You know, just like Jesus definitely showed you in the wilderness, even though he didn't. 
And then he says that exact same process that produced the fully divine Bible, which he wants you to believe was all like dictation from Mount Sinai, also produced the fully divine writings of Ellen White, which he keeps calling the pen of inspiration because it's the pen, not the person holding it or the assistants editing it or the historians and fiction writers plagiarized within it. So now there's no difference between the Ten Commandments, one chapter of the Bible, and the 100,000 pages of writings of Ellen White. Thus bringing him to the conclusion that mentioning Ellen White's name is as irrelevant as mentioning Moses, David, or Jeremiah. It's all simply God. Now this completely equates the writings of Ellen White to the biblical canon, even though Adventists continuously publicly claim that we don't do that. It's a lesser light. It's not an addition to scripture. All that. But this minister has immediately equated her writings to the Psalms, Jeremiah, the Pentateuch, the Ten Commandments. Adventist ministers consistently say things like this in-house all the time. Our official stances, our actual stances, never align. Not when it comes to Ellen White. And no one seems to notice inside the bubble or they don't care. But the clip goes further than that. Understand, he raised the problem as being that Ellen White is quoted too much but not because her writings are used too much. He's quoted her extensively for some 13 hours of this presentation. His problem is that by mentioning her name, we aren't crediting who really wrote them, God. So his solution to looking like a cult that worships Ellen White because of how much we quote her writings is to stop saying her name when we do it. So what you were going to say, go ahead and say it. Just tell people it's God speaking instead of Ellen. I don't know how else to tell you this, but that goes further than equating her writing to scripture. That literally equates her to God. It says, come up with your own way of saying, thus saith the Lord, when you quote Ellen White, so that the uninitiated visitors won't know that you aren't actually quoting God. You can't get closer to worshiping someone than that. And if you are not an Adventist and you're listening to this, you already understand this. This advice isn't going to work on anyone. You have to fully buy into the Ellen legend for anybody to let you get away with swapping her name out with God's. That type of rhetoric isn't about helping the member witness to strangers. That's reinforcing the legend in the member. The second a visitor finds out you're doing that, they're gone forever. There's, there's nothing to do with visitors. But I, I want you to like, do what you're doing. But every time a minister says inspiration tells us, the pen of inspiration tells us, God tells us through the pen of inspiration, the spirit of prophecy tells us, we learn from the spirit of prophecy. Every time an Adventist minister quotes Revelation saying, these are they who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Every time those things are said, you are being told something that Ellen White said or did, and you're being told like God did it. The church at times, and especially this guy, doesn't want its membership to draw a distinction in their own minds between the two. This is programming. The pastor's saying the Adventists worship the entity that wrote Ellen White's books. 
He's saying the same thing from the Adventist pulpit that he thought as a Baptist visiting in the pews. He just no longer sees the problem. You heard the amens. The congregation didn't see the problem either because he's an Adventist guy standing in an Adventist pulpit telling me Adventist things. But I went, I went back to the first one, the first of these messages, and just pulled. Here. Evangelism. You see, listen what the next quote says. Book Evangelism, page 221. All need an understanding for themselves of the position and work of their great high priest. Otherwise, it will be what? Now listen what it says. It will be impossible for you to exercise the faith that is essential in these last days and it will be impossible for you to hold the position that God has designed for you. Impossible. It, it, now, understand what God is saying. If you don't understand the work and the position of your great what? High priest, then God can't use you in these last days. It's impossible. He just quoted Ellen White and said, listen to what God is telling you. If you don't understand the unique doctrine I, God, made up, or not made up, originated, then it will be impossible for me to use you. This is a thing only Adventists even know about. Hey, listen to what God told you in Ellen White's book. Now, now let me, let me, I'm going to read some, listen, listen to this quote right here. Testimonies, volume 9, page 19. We talked in about special, testimonies, volume 9. In a special nine. sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them have been given or have been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. And listen what this statement says. God says, the most solemn truths ever entrusted to mortals have been given us to proclaim to the world. And the proclamation of these truths is to be our work. Do you see that God saved the greatest truth that he ever gave to humans? He reserved that for you and me, for the remnant church. Again, quoting Ellen, says God says. Listen to what God says. Do you see what God's saying? Do you see what Lucifer God's telling says, you? Because the people. Oh, yeah, this one. Lucifer says. Lucifer says. Because the people trust the ministers and the pen of inspiration specifically says, Satan says, I will deceive the people of God through the ministers of the church. I agree with him. But at that point, he's saying that God, the pen of inspiration, is telling you what Satan said as well. God knows that there is a time of trouble such as has never been. And listen to what God says here in the inspiration further. The church of Christ may be fitly compared to an what? To an army. The life of every soldier. Now when it says every soldier, who would the Lord be referring the to? Lord. You. The church members. Every member of the family of God. The life of every soldier is one of toil, hardship, and danger. Doesn't sound like happy savage. It doesn't. But it also doesn't sound like something God said. It sounds like a quote from Ellen White. There's more. 
There's more. Let's do one more. Says the most important text in the entire Bible. What does God say is the most important text says, in the entire Bible? Great controversy, Bible. page 409. Great controversy. These scriptures, which above how many? Above all others, had been both the foundation and the central pillar of the Advent faith was the declaration under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Do you all see that? That's not what I say. That's what God says. Through Here's my point. I don't care if you agree with all of those quotes from Ellen White or not. That's irrelevant to me. My point is that for decades, a man <laughs> is allowed in Adventism to go around teaching openly where there could be visitors. There could be people that don't know what he's talking about or have never heard of Ellen White. Where he is quoting her extensively, but never saying her name. Only saying God says through inspiration or the pen of inspiration or God tells us through the spirit of prophecy or the Lord says. And then he quotes her books. Now he's in, in the video versions of these, like he's posting these up on the on the board on a, a projector so you see testimonies volume nine or whatever you see the name of the book but you don't ever see ellen white's name so he's teaching that god says all of these things that ellen white says on purpose so that people won't know he's mentioning ellen white because they'll think it's weird and that we worship her by how much we mention her name. And he doesn't see anything wrong with continuing to quote her all the time and just saying God said it. And the churches that he does this in say amen to him when he's doing it. And the conferences that pay his fees allow him to continue to do it because nobody cares that he's equating Ellen White to God. That nothing is more done in defense of Adventism than trying to say, look, we don't worship this lady. We don't think these things about her. We don't elevate her writings to scripture. We don't take our doctrines from her. We don't need her for this, that, and the other. We don't this and that. And then this is what we do in-house when we know nobody else is listening. When no one is listening, we think, or this guy thinks, it's cultier than ever, but he's telling you, I'm removing the cult vibe away by telling you to just stop mentioning her name. Shh. God said. And I don't want you to be like, you know what, you're right, that's messed up, uh, he shouldn't be doing that. I don't want to hear it. How he hasn't had his credentials pulled, even by a denomination that believes in the inspiration he's talking about. I'm saying even if you believe God inspired all of Ellen White's writings, you should know 
it's wrong to quote them and say it's God saying it. You should know that. You're any part of you that is resistant to that is brainwashed. Period. Now you should go figure that out for yourself. But I don't commonly stand on a hill and say I am right about anything. I have my opinions, whatever. This guy doing this is blasphemy. Blasphemy. And we're allowing it because we like it. We agree with this blasphemy. If Adventism didn't agree with it, there's no way in hell he'd still be around telling this stuff. He'd get yanked. He's not, because ain't nobody got a problem with it. I do. And I need everyone that doesn't, that hears this, to really dig down deep and figure out what's going on. Figure it out. You need to. Quick. Like it'll help. It'll help. Because I guarantee you, if you don't have a problem with what he's saying, and you're with Ellen like that, you are so stressed out in your life. You may not think you are, but I assure you, it is weighing you down. And I'm not saying let it go. I'm not saying let it go. I'm saying this. This idea that there is no difference between those words and what was carved it like okay <laughs> i know i've said what i've said about the bible and storytelling and all that fine fine don't worry about it don't think about what i think of things think about what you think of things think about what you think of the 10 commandments especially as an adventist where those tablets came from Whose fingers wrote on those tablets? Where you actually think those tablets came from, Adventists? He compared those tablets to everything that woman wrote. And it's like, don't say her name. Just say God said. That'll be less culty. Figure it out. I'm sorry. I meant to do this without getting frustrated. It didn't work out. Um... Again, respected. He's a respected dude. And I hate to use him as an example because, again, you can't get away with doing this if the groups of people you're doing it in front of aren't with it. So this is not about him. This is about everybody. It's about me. I sat through a couple of these. But this is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. Now, how much you can walk, like, it's going to be fun. And I, cause I get how this happens. It's like, I've, I think I've mentioned this before, creating that extra level for Ellen White to be like, well, this is inspired. Not like, I mean, it's not the Bible, but it's, it's inspired in the same quality and degree. Like to try to create that secondary level is a lie. You can't, you can't create a second level where you only put Ellen there. It's a false 
distinction. So you got to figure out where to put her. But if if dropping her name out and just saying God says makes you uncomfortable, which it should, then you need to actually figure out what to do with her words. And what to do with people that stand up in front of you and tell you it doesn't matter who said them. That's all. That's all. And I know this one's this one's difficult because people close to I mean, I understand who this dude is to people close to me. Um that I don't think see this. So I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is a weird thing for me to do and a weird conversation I'm about to have to have. But uh we I can't not say something like I'm drowning. I'm just going to end it. I'm going to end it because I don't know where I'm going anymore. But uh, I love you, even though I don't know you. And I'm sorry if any of this was heavy handed or uncomfortable or whatever. But it would be wrong for me not to have sense of it. It just, I can't. I love you even though I don't know you. This is the one I listen to.